Hi, this is Chris Finch. I'm lead pastor of City Walk Church. I want to thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you don't already know, the best way to stay connected with City Walk Church is with our app. Just go to your device's app store and search City Walk Church to find it. Whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus or you're just investigating faith, our hope is that this message will help you take your next step in that journey. If you're in the area, we would love to have you come join us in person. For more information or to plan your visit, check us out at citywalkchurch.com or on social media at WeAreCityWalkCA. All right, we ready to jump into part four? Oh, goodness. My, I mean, it's cold outside. It's not like the Arctic. You guys shouldn't be like frozen. Uh, well, I hope that you're excited to be here. Before we get started, I wanted to do something. Uh, first of all, I want to give a shout out to a group, and then I want to, uh, we're going to share with you who our Bridge Builder of the Month is. It's something that we started. And so first thing I want to do, I want to give a shout out to our setup team, uh, because this morning our setup team got here uh, right at 7 o'clock, and man, we had this place set up in almost 45 minutes and uh, it, w- it just moved a lot faster. Had some new people join the team. And so I just want to give a shout out. Let's give a hand to the people that get here early. And uh, they, they make a multi-purpose room kind of feel like a church. Uh, and uh, we're so thankful for them. Uh, one, one of the things that we started doing uh, this past month is we started uh, giving people the opportunity to nominate a bridge builder of the month. And you say, if you're new to City Walk, you're saying, a bridge, like, y'all build bridges? I thought you were like a church. What is this whole thing, bridge builder? Well, if you volunteer at City Walk Church, you're not a volunteer, you're a bridge builder. And here's why we, we, we think so, that word's so important is because whether you're in the parking lot, whether you're on the setup team, whether you're uh, in the, in the uh, city kids area and you're changing diapers, we believe that every single person that serves is building a bridge for somebody else to meet Jesus. And so we, we uh, refer to everyone as a bridge builder because that's really what everyone does no matter what part they play. And so this month uh, we kind of opened up this opportunity where people could say, hey, I saw somebody that is just doing an incredible job serving and loving people and uh, we are, wanted to start this month, this Bridge Builder of the Month thing. And so here's, here's what's really cool. We had tons of people get nominated, but there was one person that was nominated several times. And so I wanted to honor that person. Uh, and and let, me, let me read to you uh, a little bit about the uh, couple things that people said about this person. They said, this person is always willing to help out and is often the first to volunteer and lend a hand. And let's be honest, I've never seen the guy in a bad mood or heard him complain, not once. Another person said, this person shows up consistently with a smile on and is ready to do whatever needs to be done. He is such an asset to whatever team he is on and brings infectious and welcoming energy every single morning. And so this morning, we want to not not to honor our first bridge builder of the month, we want to honor uh, a man by the name of Ethan, who's right back here. Ethan, come on up, buddy. Come on up, Ethan. And I'll, I'll bring this. And if you're, if you're a bridge builder of the month, you get a card, but you also get a gift card. So thanks, buddy. Appreciate you. 
That's why uh, I sent you a message earlier today. Ethan wanted to make sure you were going to be here today. <laughs> it's like, oh, that'd be a little awkward. But we're, we're thankful for Ethan, and we're thankful for the many people that, and literally, it's, it's like 60 different people that are serving and getting involved in it. So we're so thankful for them uh, and looking forward to what God has uh, in the future. And so uh, this past week in our family, uh, we, we entered a new phase. And so it, this new phase started about uh, probably three or four weeks ago. And I got some of you guys nervous, You're like, is Lori pregnant again, or what are you about to say? It's not, not, like, not crazy like that. But a few weeks ago, uh, probably about four weeks ago, my son Austin came home with this, like, probably at that point, like a two-week-old puppy. And uh, not even, like, supposed to be away from its mom at that point. Its eyes weren't open, its ears weren't open. Uh, but he brought it home, to, and it was kind of showing us, and to one of his best friends, Harrison, it was uh, from a litter that they had had at their home. And so he brought this little puppy home and was kind of showing it to us. And at first, I was the one that was thinking, I don't want to pee on my floor. I don't want to get into that anymore. And so, no, Austin, we're not going there. But, but what happened was it started this little something inside of all of us. And we started to think, oh, another puppy. You know, it would be nice. And, you know, he started to... And I was probably the one at first that was most against it, but very quickly I became the one that was most for it. And, and, and what happened was I began to Google, because it's a, a boxer and a lab mix, and I didn't even know this was a thing. There's a thing called a boxador. And, and so I, I started to Google, okay, what's a boxador? And I started to find out more about these types of puppies. And then I found out, and my kids made fun of me for this, I started to join like Boxador lover groups on Facebook. And so and some of you just lost respect for me right there when I just said it. But I, and I would, I would show my kids like, hey, look at this. this and it seemed like every other uh, picture that was popping up was a part of my community now, my new group, my crew, the Boxador Lovers crew uh, on, on Facebook. And so I was kind of kind of watching it and, and seeing things go and, and just looking at different people's puppies and, and hearing their stories. And then just this past Sunday, uh, we got, I think we have a picture of him, uh, we got Winston. And his name is actually Winston Jamal, is his name. There's a story behind that. But Winston Jamal, and so we got him, and I put a picture, because I wanted my Boxador Lover crew online, my community to see, and so, man, I put a picture of him up, and all my new friends were commenting and, and liking the picture, and man, it was, it was cool to, uh, to, to have this puppy, and now we are in that phase of cleaning up pee off the floor and doing all that fun stuff, but it's worth it because the puppy's really cute and my daughter loves it. And the, the one that actually helps take the least amount of that dog is the one that wanted the dog the most, and you can figure out that story. But, but that dog has become Lori and mine, and we're the ones that, that take care of it. But we don't mind because it's a beautiful dog. But the reason I tell you that story is, one, I just wanted a, an excuse to show you a picture of my new dog. But, but also, and you know this, in our current culture, there's a community for everything. Like if, there, if it's a thing, there's a community for it. And so there's clubs you can be involved on. I mean, there's a Facebook group for everything under the sun. 
uh, if you're a part of a sports team or maybe you have a group at work. I mean, there's communities of people based around every single subject, every single activity, and just groups of people that gather around those kind of focuses. And it doesn't matter if you're the type of person that is more introverted or if you're a person that, that lo- like loves a crowd. Every single one of us at some level want to belong to a community. It's why we, we love TV shows and, and we follow them almost like they have cult following shows like The Office or Friends or an older one, Cheers. These are, these are shows about communities of people, about groups of people, and in many ways these groups are dysfunctional in a lot of different ways, but we love to watch them, we love to follow their stories, we love to see what's happening and the different things that are happening in that community, and we kind of lean in because we're drawn to community. Yet sometimes, for a variety of different reasons, and everybody kind of has their own story, we steer clear of community when it comes to the focus of faith. So we're, we're, man, we're a part of this community online, and we're part of this club, and we're part of this group. But, but sometimes we steer clear of the community that has relation to our relationship with God. And we do that for a variety of reasons. For, for one, if we're honest, part of it's, for some of us, it's our pride. Because we aren't big fans of letting people know that we're not perfect and showing people what we're not perfect at. And so we, we might go to church, but really get involved in the community. We're maybe a little bit proud, and we don't know if, man, what are people going to think when they really get to know me? And so maybe we steer clear. Maybe we steer clear because we have been legitimately hurt by the church. And it's not necessarily our pride. It's, man, at one time we were part of the community, and we did put ourselves out, but then somebody hurt us or did something to us that wasn't anything that Jesus would endorse and because of that we've been away from the church for a decade or two decades and it's just not been part of our life because we've been hurt for others it might be just our view of God and so man if you you kind of grew up with a view of God as God is kind of this this judge that sits on a throne kind of waiting for you to mess up so that he can zap you then of course man why would I want to like tie into a community like that if that's what this whole thing's about but but here's what's interesting the whole story of humanity actually began in community The scriptures say, and it's probably a a word or two that maybe even if you've read through the scriptures, there's a few phrases in Genesis that you probably have read over quickly and really didn't think about, hey, whoa, that's what that's saying there. But in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, it says this, it says, then God said, let us, not me, but us, make man in our image after our likeness. See, the whole story of humanity actually began in the fellowship of the Trinity, where where God's saying, hey, let's make man in our image. Let's make him like us. And and he's speaking of the Trinity, about the, the, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And as he's thinking about making man, he's saying, let's make man like us. And you, you think, man, the Trinity, that's such a big thought. It is a big thought. 
It's a big thought that, man, we, that we don't totally understand, but we believe that, that God is in three persons. And at the beginning of time, it wasn't God just creating the earth, but it was God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And he says, hey, in the midst of this community, let's put together this man and let's make him like us. See, we were created from a community for a community. And then God goes on in, in that same passage, and we looked at this verse a little bit earlier uh, a few weeks ago. He simply says this as he's thinking about man and as he's, as he's made man, he says this. He says, it's not good or beneficial. It's not beneficial that man should be alone. Like, like it's everything I've made is good, but one thing that's not good, it's not good, it's not beneficial that, that man should be alone, that he should be separated from others, that he should not have support. So that's not good. And so from the beginning of time, God created man with the thought of community, of needing other people. And then fast forward several thousand years, and God came to earth in the person of Jesus. And most of what was written about Jesus, we have, most of what we read about him was actually about the last three years of his life. If you read through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you see that most of what it says is the last, talks about the last three years of Jesus' life. And if you read those passages and you read those Gospels, and you really look at them, here's what you're going to see. Jesus was about community. Jesus was about relationships. Relationships were really important to Jesus. You can look at every single story in the Gospels, and you can take that story, and it will connect to one of three relationships. It'll connect to either his relationship with God, it'll connect to his relationship with other believers or his disciples, or it'll connect with his relationship with people that are far from God, that weren't followers. And so that's what Jesus was all about. And so here's what we've been saying. If Jesus was all about relationships, then the life of a Jesus follower should be all about relationships. And over the last few weeks, we've focused on our relationship with God, and we've used the word abide to describe that as abiding with God and really knowing God and, and allowing God to change us by knowing Him. And we focused on that because Jesus focused on that. But you may have already guessed, today what we're going to focus on is we're going to focus on our relationships with God in our community and so we're going to talk about the word connecting. We're going to talk about what it looks like and why it's important that we not only have a relationship with God, that's huge, but that we have a relationship with the family of God and how God wants that. And that's, that's what God's best is. And so if you, if you grew in and you have probably different people with different backgrounds, and I understand this, for some of you. As you think about your background, man, you grew up in a church, and man, you had a great time. I'm like, it was a, a, a good community. You have fond memories of it. Some of your best friends and your best memories were, man, were created in the community of your local church and in your youth group and with the people that kind of invested in your life. And so when I talk about community with the family of God, for you, man, it's a good thought. But, but for some of you, you think, man, when you start thinking about community with people that are kind of the family of God, it's not a super fond thought for you. 
Because, like I said earlier, you, you maybe have been hurt by someone in the church. And so for you, the idea of leaning into community, even if it was important to Jesus, it's tough. And maybe for some of you, if you're honest, you, you look at people that are followers of Jesus and you just think they're a little bit off. Like if you're honest, you're like, I don't know if I want to hang out with those people. I don't know if I really want to lean into that community because those people are weird. And maybe some of the ones you've interacted with are weird. And you should think they're weird because there are some weird ones that, that say, man, I'm a follower of Jesus, but man, you are just different. And so maybe for you, that's what you're thinking. And so when you think about being in community, you're thinking, I don't know. I'll go to church with them, but I don't think I want to sit down at Starbucks with them and hang out because it's just a little different. No matter kind of what your upbringing is, no matter what your background is, no matter kind of what you think about when you think about community with the family of God, I would ask you that you would just lean in. That you would lean in for just a, a few minutes and let's look at some of the realities that if someone is a follower of Jesus, these are realities about the relationship with other believers that are important for us to understand. And so let's lean into the first one. The first one is this. Because I have a relationship with God, I now have a relationship with God's family. John 1.12 says it this way. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. That word right means, it means entrusted power. It means benefit. And so basically what John's saying is, hey, when, when you became a follower of Jesus, you became part of the family of God. Like you gained a new family, you gained a new identity because of what Jesus did on the cross. And when you stepped over the line of faith and said, yes, yes to Jesus, you gained a new identity, but you also gained a new family. And, here's, and some of us need to repeat this to ourselves many, many times. When you became a follower of Jesus, you became a follower of Jesus and you belonged to something very special. For some, you, if you're honest, the idea of belonging is something you haven't felt in a long time. And you felt maybe rejected by maybe the church. You felt rejected maybe by your family. You have some hurt maybe from years ago where, where you never have belonged to, to groups that you're supposed to belong to. Well, when you became a follower of Jesus, Jesus says, hey, you, you bring all your baggage. You bring all your past. You bring all your stuff, all the stuff that everybody else rejected you because of. You bring all that because when you became a follower of me, you joined my family. You took on my identity. And so when God looks at you, he doesn't see you through your past. He doesn't see you through your junk. He sees you through the righteousness of Jesus. He looks at you and he sees the righteousness that Jesus had as if it was yours. And so you, re you have a new identity and you belong. And, and like I said, you may need to say that to yourself several times. You know what? I belong. I'm part of the family of God. That's so important. It's so special. But there's some, some misconceptions when it comes to the family of God. Maybe this was one of the misconceptions that you've had. Some people, 
they, they say, you know what, I, I like the idea of having a relationship with God, but I need to make a decision whether I want to have a relationship with the family. And, and when you got married, the family came with your wife or your husband. Whether you liked it or not, whether you look forward to going to Thanksgiving dinner with all those crazies or not, it doesn't matter. When you got married, man, the family came with your spouse. And for some of you, that's a great thing. For some of you, you're like, oh, that's been the tough part. But, but that's the same way it is, man. Yeah, is there some crazy people in the family of God? Absolutely. And if we look in the mirror, we're all one of them. And we're, we're the messes, and we're the wrecks, and we're the selfish ones. Like, it's us. But when you became a part of the family, of, or when you joined kind of relationship with God, it wasn't like, okay, I'll take plan A, but I'm not, a, I'm not sure if I'm going to join the family part. I just want the relationship with God part. You, you can't separate them. Like when you became a follower of Jesus, you got his family. Whether you like it or not, we're part of the family. But the second kind of misconception as it relates to the family of God is that some people, because of a bad experience, have walked away from God's family. And, and sometimes family can be difficult. We know that. But you can't throw out the concept altogether just because of some issues with certain family members. And that's the same way with the family of God. Man, maybe you have been hurt. Maybe you have had some people do some things to you in the name of Jesus that Jesus would have never signed his name to. Man, don't throw everything out just because you've had some bad experiences with a few of the family members. Because none of the family members are perfect, but don't throw them all out because of some bad experiences with some of them. Because when you joined with God, when you became a follower of God, you became a part of his family. And it's actually one of the coolest things about having a relationship with God. I mean, think about it. When you read about Abraham, Isaac, Moses, you know who you're reading about? You're reading about your family. If you've ever been on a missions trip, and this is one of the coolest things in the world, when you go overseas and you go to a different culture and people speak a different language, but you connect with people that are followers of Jesus, there's a bond there that goes beyond the language, that goes beyond the culture, and it's just awesome how God... You can just tell, man, oh, you must be a follower of Jesus because there's something to that family. There's something to the, what's inside of each one of those family members that even though cultures are different, languages are different, but there's something really special about the family of God. And here's what's really cool. When you pray, when you pray for people that are overseas, when you pray for people that are are people that you don't necessarily know, but you're praying for them and they're followers of Jesus. You're not just praying for people, you're praying for your brothers and your sisters. You're praying for your family and your family's praying for you. And so the family of God is such an important and crucial part of being a follower of Jesus and really being a part of that community. I wrote this in my notes. You will never know the very best God has in store for your life apart from a relationship with him and his family. And honestly, pride and, and, and really stupidity say, you know what? I don't need anyone. Like, have we all had times in our life that we would say, you know what? I was proud and I was stupid and I tried to kind of put on a front that I really didn't need anyone. 
And that's just dumb. We know that. That's just proud. I don't need other people. Yes, we all need other people. And, and what humility says is, you know what? I need God, but I also need other people. And that was important to Jesus. And so the first reality as you think about a relationship with the community is because I have a relationship with God, I now have a relationship with God's family. But let's look at a second reality, and this one's important. Here's the second thing as you think about the community of faith and the community based around Jesus. It's impossible to be right with God and not be right with his family. Let me say that again, because this one is where I think, I think the church blows this one up. And I don't mean that in a good way. Like, I think there, that in the church, there's, there's a whole group that thinks, you know what, I can kind of be good with God and be a jerk to other Christians. And I can be okay with that. As long as I read my Bible in the morning, I can go be a jerk to people all day long. And that is just so far from what Jesus believed. And so the second reality, it is impossible to be right with God and not be right with his family. Last weekend, we looked at this verse in John 14, and it says this, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And so that, that's John 14, verse 15, but if you were to look down at verse 21, at verse 23, at verse 24, basically Jesus repeats the very same thing three more times, like, hey... If you didn't catch it the first time, let me give it to you three more times in the same paragraph. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Is that, is that hard to understand? Let me tell you again. Let me tell you again. Let me tell you again to make sure you understand. And then what he does in like the very next chapter is he gives kind of, okay, what does he mean by commands? Okay, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Well, what is that? What commandment? Well, here's what he says in the very next chapter. He says this, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. So Jesus, what did you mean when you said, hey, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments? What, what do you mean by commandments? Jesus says, okay, here, here's what I meant. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you love one another in the exact same way that I loved you. That's what my commandment is. See, the greatest evidence that I am in a relationship with God is that I am in right relationship with other believers. The best way somebody's going to know if you love Jesus is by how you treat other people. That's what Jesus said. This is what his commandment is. And so the idea, and I already said this, but the idea that I can be right in a right relationship with God and be kind of a jerk to his followers... It's honestly comical and sad at the same time. Because, and John said it this way in 1 John, just in case we weren't sure, he says this. He says, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. So, John, what did you really mean there? We're, we're, we're having trouble catching this. He's like, man, let me, let me just make it plain. And, and we understand this because if someone were to come up to me and say, you know what, Chris? Man, I really love you. 
want to help? How can we be a help to you? And hey, I want to, want to, want to help you and encourage you. Oh, but oh, by the way, your kids are jerks. You know what? I hate your kids. If, if your kid was right here, I'd probably punch your kid in the face. But man, I love you. That just doesn't work. Like if you hate my kids, you don't like me and I don't like you. Like, you, you know that, like, you can't say, hey, I love you, you're the best, I appreciate you, want to love you, but oh, there's your son, let me punch him in the face. That doesn't go well. And here's what we're doing, this is some, kind of what we do, like, hey, God, I love you, I'll spend time with you, but man, I hate the people that they say they're, they're followers of you. And I don't want to hang out with them, and, 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 and we just treat people in a way that doesn't please God, all the while we're saying, oh, I love you, God, and he's saying, what? You love me, but you can't stop gossiping behind that other person's back, the person that you're supposed to love that's a follower of me too? See, Jesus was so serious about this that in Matthew, he, he illustrated it. He, and here's what Jesus would do. And, you, and whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, you're pro- probably one of the best ways that throughout all of history that, that we learn and, and different teachers of different time frames have used and philosophers is stories. So all throughout history, stories have always been a very important way for people to learn. And so Jesus, he, to illustrate this point and really kind of make it come home, he says, hey, just let me give you a quick story. And in Matthew chapter 5, he says, hey, in verse 23, he says, if you're offering your gift at the altar... And there remember that your brother has some, something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. So Jesus said, man, if you came to church and you're, you're about to you know, do something for God and you're about to give to God or you're just about to serve for God and, and something comes to your mind where there's an issue with you and a brother... Leave church and go take care of that issue and then come back. Like it's so important to Jesus. He said, don't, don't put any money in the offering. Don't, don't serve. Don't be on the setup team. Don't do this. Don't do that. No, before any of that stuff, what's more important than any of that stuff is, man, go get things right with your brother or sister in Christ. That's what's so important. And sometimes, I don't know about you, but I can be flippant with things that God was really serious about. And this is one of those things that, man, sometimes we're flippant about these things, but to God, his family is a really big deal. And so our relationship with him and our relationship with his family are both really important and and have a lot to do with each other. And so it's important that if we're going to follow Jesus the way Jesus walked, that we not only have a good relationship with our Father, and we're continuing to lean into that and get to know Him, but also we have to understand that our relationship with the community, with the family of faith, is really important. And it's so important that when there's something off or something wrong, that we need to, the Scripture says, do all that we can to be at peace with all men. Like, do everything you can. You can't fix every problem. You can't make the other person have a a right attitude. But take every step that you can possibly take to be at peace with all men. Which leads us to 
maybe the last reality that I wanted to, to share with you as we think about what it looks like to be in community with the family of God. And it's simply this. My relationship with God grows when I'm in community with God's family. I wrote this in my notes. My relationship with God enables me to fully enjoy my relationship with others. As I relate to others, God uses those relationships to deepen my relationship with Him. I would go so far to say that there are things that you will never learn apart from your relationship with other Jesus followers. Like there's some things God wants to teach us. There's some ways God wants to encourage us. There's some things he wants to give us help in that we will never gain the help in, that we will never learn the lessons in apart from our relationship with other people that are his followers. And God puts those people in our lives to teach us things that we couldn't learn on our own. And if you are married, you understand that. Because if you're married, you know exactly what I mean. There's some things in life you would never have learned without being married. Some good things and some tough things that you would never have learned other than what you've learned in marriage. Lori and I, we've been married now just over 22 years. And we, when we got married, I thought I knew a lot uh, until we went to the grocery store for the first time. I thought I knew a lot about budgeting. I thought I knew about, a lot about money. I thought I knew a lot about how to be a good husband. But on our very first grocery store trip, I learned a few lessons Real quickly, uh, we were up in, at, uh, up in New York, we were in our third year of college, and I had this like mindset, like, okay, we got to be debt-free, got to leave college debt-free, which is a yeah, great thing to have, that's a great mindset, but I was like a Nazi about it. Like, I was going to, man, all right, we got to do everything we can to make sure when we graduate, we're debt-free, and so, man, I, I I'd never like put a budget together, but I kind of put our little budget together, had some people kind of mentor me, had our budget, and I remember the first time we went to the grocery store. So came back from the honeymoon, we're like in our apartment, and all right, let's go to the grocery store for the first time. Literally, this is what was happening. Lori was putting things in the cart, and I was walking right behind her and just taking them out, taking them out. And that, that was like, and we write, we don't argue, honestly, we don't have like loud yell arguments, but man, we actually had an argument like on week one of being married because I thought, oh, in order for us to be debt free, in order for us to handle money the right way, man, then I got to be, be really strict on these things. And man, we can't, man, we don't need that. We don't need that. We don't need that. And, and I learned real quickly that, man, there's probably a better way to do this. And, uh, I've gotten a little better 22 years later. I still struggle sometimes with, with that kind of stuff. But, but I learned a lot. And you probably, if we had time, we could go around and laugh at all of you. We could all laugh at each other. And we could laugh at each other as your spouse tells us about things that you learned. And you tell with some things that your spouse learned just by being married. And God puts people in our life to help us learn things we couldn't learn on our own. There's a verse in Scripture in Proverbs chapter 27. It's, it's one of my favorite verses in the Proverbs. And it says this. Proverbs 27, 17. It says, iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. And, and isn't that true? Like, just think about your life. 
whether it's spiritual, just out of any realm in your life, think, just think about the different people that have kind of crossed paths with you over the years that you, after knowing them for a little while, could look back and say, you know what, I'm better. I've grown because of their influence, because of their sharpening. It's the reason that we're all so concerned about who our kids hang out with. Like, do you want your kids hanging out with slackers that are lazy? No, you want, you're like, hey, get with the right friends because we all know that, man, the community you're a part of is really going to shape you and sharpen you or they're going to kind of mess you up and you're going to go the other way. And, and in, the, in the Bible and kind of amongst Jesus followers, we call this, it's, the word is fellowship. We use the word fellowship, which means basically to partner with or participate with, to share in. And, and we have fellowship with other believers, and God uses that fellowship to sharpen us. And this is exactly what the early church did. If, if you followed the early church, if you read in Acts chapter 2, you see that this is what happened automatically. As people became, became followers of Jesus and as they began to grow in their faith, they automatically, without even being told, began to connect with other believers and fellowship with other believers. Look at Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 verse 42, as, as the early church is beginning and people are beginning to follow Jesus, it says this, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and prayers. And then verse 46, it says, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. When you read through the book of Acts, you're not reading about a, a programmed religion or a system. What you're reading is the natural expression of intimacy with God that leads to fellowship with his family. It's just what happened naturally. These people began to connect around the word of God and around uh, the, the, the things that were important to God. And it says that the church grew daily. So this is the question that I want us to think about as we begin to close. If, if this is true, the things that we've talked about, what is God's plan for us? To live out fellowship today just like the early church did. If a relationship with God's important and that leads to a relationship with a community, then how does that, how's that supposed to be lived out today? Well, the answer is the local church. That the church is God's divinely established community for me to live out my relationship with God in relationship with other people. I didn't write that. You're like, oh, yeah, of course that's what a pastor is going to say. Well, I, I didn't write that. I wasn't even alive, actually. You probably already knew that, but I wasn't alive when this stuff took place. I wasn't there with Peter as he was at Pentecost and to, you know, preaching to people, and then thousands of people came to know Jesus, and, and then they said, hey, let's just, hey, Chris, what do you think? Well, I'm going to be a pastor in about 2,000 years, so y'all, could y'all really talk about like getting together like in a place? Could y'all do that? And that'll help me 2,000 years from now. No, this is just what happened. They started gathering in homes. They started going to the temple together. They started fellowshipping in community with each other. It just became part of how they lived out their relationship with God. 
And at City Walk, we, man, we seek to kind of follow that model. We haven't come up with a better plan. Like, okay, back then they used to go to the temple and, and be a part of large gatherings. So, hey, that's probably something we should do. So let's, let's rent a school. And at 1030 on Sunday mornings, let's do a big gathering. Oh, well, you know what else they did? They, they got together in homes. And they studied the scriptures. And they prayed. And they spent time together socially. So you know what? My house on Tuesday night at, at 615, we have Taco Tuesday. Have about 18 adults in the house. And around our city, on other nights of the week, same thing's happening. Not taco part, but same thing's happening. Why? Because Chris and I sat down in a Panera Bread in Florida and said, before we move, let's come up with this unique plan that nobody's ever thought of on how to like do this church thing. No, actually, we're not that smart. We just said, oh, that's what they used to do, so let's do that. It kind of worked for Peter and Paul and Jesus, well, we're not smarter than them, and so let's just follow their lead. And so that's why we do what we do, and that's why we boldly encourage you to be at church on Sundays and be in a group because that's what Jesus thought was a big deal. And he thought being a part of the family was important. And sometimes when we think about that, we're thinking, you know what, I, I'm doing all right. But somebody else might not be doing all right, and you might be the thing God uses to make them all right. Sometimes we look at, ah, I don't want to be a part of a group because I'm kind of busy. Well, maybe God wants to use you to help somebody else. And God's going to use you in a way that he can't use anybody else to sharpen that person. Maybe your smile on a Sunday morning, your encouragement on a Sunday morning, when, when you decide, you know what, I'm not going to sleep in today. I'm actually, I'm going to make it a big deal to go to church. I'm not going to come with this, hey, I hope the preacher's good today and the music and I, the coffee is pretty good too. I ho hope that works out for me. No, I'm going to come with the idea of, hey, I'm here to encourage the family because that's what this thing's all about. And man, and I, I think we should be a part of other groups, man. Be a part of the Boy Scouts. Be a part of the homeschool co-op. Be a part, go to a Christian school. Do all these things that, man, help supplement. But the, the plan and program that God said, hey, this is the community that you want to build your relationship with me and your relationship with others. It's the local church. That was his plan. And so no matter where you are on your faith journey, two things I want to close with. And, and here's, here's the one, and I've, I've said it several different ways, but you will never know God's best apart from a strong relationship with his family. Like, you need us, and we need you. You need us for the fellowship and the encouragement, and we need you for the fellowship and the encouragement. And, and you'll, you'll never know God's best. Until you're connected not only to God, but a relationship with his family. But here's the second thing that, that I want you to think about as we close up today. And this is maybe the part that we don't always think about. Did you know that God will use your relationship with his family to reveal his existence to other people that don't know him? See, when the New Testament describes the family of God, it, it talks about it as a body. And a body provides the physical reality of someone's existence. Like, I see you, not because I can see your soul, but I know you're there because I see your body. Like, your body's there, so okay, that person's there. 
And, and in the same way, the body of Christ, the family of God, is the physical representation of God's existence here on earth. And sometimes we don't think about it that way, but, but people know that you're real because of your body. People know that God is real because of His body. The Scriptures say this in, in 1 John 4.12, No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. The lost world can't see God. How do they know he's real? They can see the effect of God in our lives. They can see how we love each other. And that's why the early church was so explosive. Because they loved each other so well, and the body what was, it was such a powerful movement that people literally by the thousands wanted to be a part of it because of what they saw. And so as we close, I want to ask you a few questions. I want you to reflect on these. Are you thankful for God's family? Like not like, eh, I should say yes since I'm in church, but be honest. Like are you thankful for the family of God? Maybe you're not a follower of Jesus. Hopefully, even if you don't buy into the whole Jesus thing, hopefully you've seen a good enough example of the family of God that you would say, hey, I don't necessarily buy into it all yet, but I'm thankful for the people that do because of how they love each other and how they love our community. Hopefully that's the example that you've seen. Are you enjoying God's best by pursuing community with other believers? Is there anything between you and a brother or sister in Christ right now? Like as, as we talked about that, for some of you, like somebody came to your mind right away. And you started to squirm a little bit in your chair like, oh, yeah, I'm good with everybody, but there's that one person. And man, I've, I've just been avoiding kind of having that conversation. I've been avoiding you know, admitting that I'm wrong or asking for forgiveness or confronting on that one little issue. I've just kind of swept it under the rug. But, but now if I believe the scriptures, I, I have to believe that, it, that that relationship with my brother or sister has a direct effect on my relationship with God and vice versa. And so I can't just leave that relationship alone. Like I need to make it right. And then the last question, does your love for God's people reveal God's love for all people. Like when, when people see this gathering and how well it loves each other, does it reveal God to them? Like, man, I, I may not buy into the whole Jesus thing, but there's something special about those people, how they love each other so well. I, I may want to be a part of that someday because of how I see those people love each other. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. As we just kind of close up our time this morning, as we close, we have been really asking ourselves over the past few weeks just a real simple question, and that's, what does the life of a Jesus follower look like? And it's, it's great that we actually have the example of Jesus, and we're able to look throughout the Gospels, and, and we're able to see how important his relationship to God was but also how important his relationship with other people that were believers were. And the interesting thing is Jesus didn't need anybody. I mean, he was the, the person that literally could say, you know what, I actually don't need anybody. 
But yet, even in the midst of not needing anybody, he made it such a priority to spend time in community with his disciples and with other followers. And as we close up our time this morning, I just want to encourage you to just evaluate. Like, what is my relationship with God like as it relates to my relationship with other people who are followers of Jesus? Am I, am I leaning into that community? Or what's my excuse for maybe not leaning in? And, and what, what might God be saying? Like, what would be a step, maybe a small step that you could take to just lean in to the family of God? Lord, I, I thank you for uh, just how you've worked this out. Lord, we uh, can't do this alone. You never intended us to, and so you've given us family. And Lord, some in this room, they're, they're real family. It's a tough, it's tough, and, and there's not a lot of encouragement. Other people in this room, man, they have a great family. But God, whether our, our, our real family is, is great and loving and encouraging or not, you didn't leave us alone. You, you gave us a family, a family of faith, a family that is there to encourage us and a family that we're able to encourage. And God, I pray that, that you would speak to us individually, individually and that we would lean in to the family you've provided. In Jesus' name, amen.